Hey, yo, internets. Support for the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by the Spotify original podcast, Mogul. The life and death of Chris Lighty, hosted by Reggie Osei, a.k.a. Combat Jack, a.k.a. Motherfuckers, it's me. Mogul tells the story of the music executive who changed hip-hop and shaped the careers of some of its most beloved artists. LL Cool J, Missy Elliott, 50 Cent, Nas, Diddy, and so many more. Internets, one of the most illustrious careers in music. Chris Lighty rose to the pinnacle of musical success before an untimely end. This story is more than just music. It's the story of the American dream. And when I tell y'all, man, I put my life... My life has sweat into this, man. It's been over a year. We're still working on it, dude. Like, even though the first and second episodes are out, the third episode comes out this week, man. We're still working on it, man. It's a tireless effort. I'm so proud of it. For those that have been fucking with the Combat Jack show, I know that y'all will fuck with Mogul. I've been telling y'all for a long time, man. It's time to raise the bar. I think I did it with this one, man. Shout out to Gimlet. Shout out to Spotify. Mogul. The Life and Death of Chris Lighty is a Spotify original podcast produced by Gimlet Media and, of course, the Loudspeakers Network. Follow and listen to Mogul every week exclusively on Spotify. I'm so hyped that you guys are telling us that this Mogul thing is crazy. Um, Listen, man, go on Twitter. Follow Mogul, at Mogul on Twitter. And if you want to keep listening, check out the playlist inspired by the show, Mogul, available on Spotify. And listen, Niggas, I, I, I've been getting so many like, yo, combat, I don't have Spotify, niggas. Y'all download all types of other shit, porn, hentai, all types of bestiality shit. Y'all motherfuckers can't download Spotify. Y'all don't have to pay for the premium shit. Just download the bitch. We've been, who been holding y'all down for seven motherfucking summers? We, that's who. So support us with this bigger endeavor. You will not be... You will not be dissatisfied. Go to Spotify, at Spotify, download the fucking app. Listen to Mogul, the life and death of Chris Lighty. And now back to the show. A street legend that controlled the flow of cocaine through the city of Flint, Michigan for years has just completed a seven-year prison bid. He hits the streets and recruits a protege named Basil, only to get betrayed by him, and a street war is suddenly ignited. A web of lies and deceit fill the pages of this thrilling novel and keeps the readers guessing until the very last page. The town is painted red and chaos erupts. Shootouts, kidnappings, lies, and double-crossing. Teacher versus student. Basil versus Kane. Find out what happens in the new book by New York Times bestseller Jaquavis Coleman in The Street Have No King. Available now everywhere books are sold. Hey, yo, internets. You tune into the Combat Jack Show. Um, it's this very special episode. Um, I was flown out to Durham, North Carolina by the Art of Cool Conference, the 2017 Art of Cool Conference. I think this was their first conference. And it was supposed to be me and Dr. Mark Anthony Neal. And we were supposed to have a roundtable discussion with the late, you know, with not the late, what the fuck am I talking about? The great God MC, Rakim Allah. But Rakim was late and eventually Rakim was a no-show. It was very disappointing. But we flipped it because we had the good brother in the audience, Knife Wonder, Knife Wonder, it was Professor Mark Anthony Neal. It was me, Reggie Osei, Combat Jack. We had an amazing conversation 
thought intriguing. Um, you know, we had some ratchet. Y'all, y'all know what we bring to the table, man. So without further ado, this is the Where Is Rakim episode of the Combat Jack Show featuring Knife Wonder, Professor Mark Anthony Neal. I hope y'all enjoy it, man. Listen to that mogul, too. What up, King? What's up, Internet? How y'all doing? No, you get in the middle, bitch. You get in the middle, man. You're not playing that. How y'all doing, Durham? First and foremost, man, I want y'all to give yourselves a round of applause, man. Y'all a beautiful audience. Y'all been really patient. And now we're about to give you that work. Introduce yourselves, man. I am the sloppy substitute right about now. Uh, <laughs> sloppy substitute? Give this man a round of applause. He's not, he's like, look, like, look, nice man. Nice in the building. <laughs> I have the, um, the privilege and the honor and the luxury to teach alongside this man right here at, um, Duke. at Duke University. I also teach at North Carolina Central, of course. Um, so, uh, you know, I make beats for a living. I teach. Um, I'm in the Smithsonian. That's cool. Um, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> just a lover and um, a lover and a studier and a, and, a, and a protector of the culture, I guess. That's, um, that's me in a nutshell. There's nothing like this man right here. No, but this is the right thing now, you right? got to understand, right? You see three black men up here, but the thing that you don't process is that what you got up here are two professors and a lawyer, right? And right. the fact that two professors and a lawyer are repping the culture is important because 30 years ago, they would never have thought about the culture that way, right? And just like all of you in this room are professionals in your own right, but live hip-hop, have been a product of hip-hop, this is a part of hip-hop that the, that the larger culture never gets to see. Because they infantilize it, right? They make hip-hop think about being but just about 14 and 15-year-olds. This is what hip-hop looks like when hip-hop is grown, right? All of y'all is what hip-hop looks like when it's grown. So I just want to give that kind of quick shout-out. And today's April 29th. Y'all know what's the significance of that date? It's the 25th anniversary of the L.A. riots. So that's one thing. Uh, of course, we got a shout-out fine-ass Sicily because it's her birthday. So sing a little... Happy birthday thing for Happy her. Birthday, sister. Happy birthday. <laughs> it's also the birthday of Duke Ellington, right? Greatest American composer, right? So it's fitting to talk about on this day, the birthday of Duke Ellington, also talking about the greatest lyricist of all time, the GOAT, Rakim, the God MC. So I guess the question we should, the elephant in the room is, <laughs> where's Rakim? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, listen, you know, this, this, um, me and Knife were talking last night, man, and we were talking about, you know, such a privilege it is to be able to work in the industry and, and make a living out of it, but also the other side, like the, the heavy side of working on the industry, the pressure of always being, you know, in the spotlight, and, you know, some of the, some of the shit that we go through being in the industry, so, you know, um, where's Rakim, man? Why are you asking me, man? I'm well, just I saying. Just let's, all right, let's uh, talk about how let's talk about how we've been influenced okay. by the God Rakim. Okay. Um, you know, I had so many questions for Rakim, man. Like, how does he process lyrics? You know, what I'm saying, and and did he understand that? You know, when there weren't that many contemporary rappers that were pushing the envelope, how does one man go beyond the boundary of that? And 
I just remember, man, when I first heard Rakim, I was like, yo, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is like this. It like opened up a new portal to what this hip hop thing was, man. And it just gave us more depth and, and, and dimension and, and, and possibilities, man. And, and here we are 30 years later. Like Mark said, here we are inspired. Like I was a kid. I was like in my in my in my late teens, early 20s and inspired so much by Rakim, KRS-One, Chuck D, EPMD, and, and like my DNA started changing to the point where it's like, I'm going to be, I'm going to professionally live in hip hop for the rest of my life, but there was no blueprint, man. There was no blueprint to this. There's still no blueprint to this, man. We're, no. we're still, and I'm, I'm, and I'm saying this humbly, but we're still pushing the boundaries of what this culture is, man. We're making it up as we go along. We're, making, we're, uh, we're freestyling. Right. Well, let me first talk about the first time I heard Rakim, you know, um, which is funny because, I, you know, I, we teach a classroom full of 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds. And, you know, in the music and popular, in the popular sense of hip-hop, when we talk about radio, whatever, like drugs is a big part of it. Like, you know, most devs say we went from selling crack to smoking it, Right. So drugs is a, is a big part of the lingo when it comes to Molly, whatever it is. But the thing about Rakim is so crazy is the first time I heard him, all, and he's a, the greatest of all time. He's also a member of the 5% Nation, which we talk about in class a lot. There's a lot of teachings that come in his music. But the first time I heard his music was out of drug dealer's car. <laughs> I'm from, I'm from Winston-Salem, um, North Carolina, born and raised, and and... That's all they played in certain neighborhoods. Paid in full posse was about that life. Right, exactly. (laughs) But what he talked about on the record was so juxtaposed of that. Mm -hmm. So you had, you know, you know, dope dealers in the eighties. Dope dealers in the eighties were doing it out of necessity. It wasn't a it wasn't a thing of they're trying to be, you know. But Doing that, but also having a like a subconscious of saying, I need to listen to something that's uplifting because it is heavy for me to sell this and do this. I need to listen to not only Rakim, but also Karis One talk about righteousness and hip hop. So it was kind of weird to hear me thinking back that you're listening to thinking of a master plan because they number sweat inside my hand coming out of dope dealers. It was amazing, which challenges the idea of now. Drug dealers think that they have to ride around and listen to the same. You know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying? Like, you, you can't do this and listen to this. You have to do this and also, right? right? It's not, it was just different for Rakim. Like if, I mean, drug dealers in the 50s were listening to Miles Davis exactly. and, and The Loneliest Monk. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But you know what's crazy? I remember um, the first time I heard Public Enemy, um, Rebel Without a Pause. It was the most murderous record I ever heard. And I thought it was the drug dealer's anthem. It was. Because it was coming out of all the Benzes right. and the Suzuki's. I'm like, yo, somebody's going to die tonight. Die tonight. Right. <laughs> and then turn around, and then they became like the most conscious, most, you know what I'm saying? Like, like most respected, most, re- like the most important hip hop group in history, man. So this dichotomy, I mean, this. I don't want to say dichotomy, but this multi-dimensional, multi-level element of our culture, where we're not just one thing, we encompass the entire thing, man. I got a question, though. 
I got a question. Rakim is the greatest of all time, right? Arguably or definitely, right? You can you can argue that. Um, the scholar in me says yes, yes because he created the fork in the road. Before mm-hmm. him, everybody was. Mm-hmm. He was a Galileo. Of, 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 and I'm here to say, yes. and I'm, everybody's rapping like that. Right. But for him, and in, in the large regard, Big Daddy Kane, like raw and paid in full, and I ain't no joke. And all of those My records, melody. Kinda, it, all of those just it created this crazy fork in the road, right? Which you know ultimately led us straight to Nas, but. To Kendrick, to the Kendrick, to right, to every multi, every rapper with a lot of syllables in their rhyme, Rakim was <laughs> polysyllabic. Right, Rakim was was is the genesis of that. He became the genesis of that type of. So just for that, like you said, the Galileo, or just for that type of idea, I think so. But this is a question I got for 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 all of us. Rakim was undefeatable, right? But I remember. I'm from Brooklyn, so I'm always going to be partial to Brooklyn MCs. Brooklyn, what up? I remember sitting in my bed one day, and I was listening to Kane. And I was listening to Warm It Up Kane. And I was listening to it over and over and over. And I was like, yo, I think Kane might could take Rakim. So, question is, this is a fictional battle. You know what I'm saying? It's like Ali versus Tyson, right? Who do you think would have won in a battle, man? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, this is what we talk about, right? So we, we talked early in semester about that battle with the Cold Crush. And the Fantastic and Five. And the Fantastic Five, right? And, and who actually won the battle? Cold Crush. And, and it was on the basis of audience reaction. Yes. Right? That's how the legend goes down. But when Cats went back and actually listened to the tapes, they were like, nah, right? It, 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 no way they won, right? So I think if we were to do audience reaction back in the day, you know, because Kane was, you know, triple threat. Got a little dance thing, could do a little rap thing. I mean, he was a performer, right? He came out of that tradition. Rakim was something else. I think the audience would have felt Kane, right, in in that moment. But I think if you go back and you listen to the tapes, (laughs) right, you hear something different, right? If we're judging just simply on lyricism. If you... because if, if that's the case, if we're just judging off lyricism and, and, and music, it's long live the cane versus paid in full. Yes. That's the. So let's get a little bit but, more. But think uh, about how rich the culture was, that, that those were the things that we were listening to. Right. I mean, something that you could hold on to now for 30 years. Right. You can go back now and listen to those tracks and still get something out of it. Right. We creating all this disposable shit now. Like, 1988 was, like, the year. Like, it was takes a nation of millions, you know, 87, 88. Takes a nation of millions, paid in full, long live the king. Criminal-minded. Criminal-minded. Um, all hail the queen. De La Soul. Strictly business. Um, Absolutely. Yo. <laughs> a woman let, 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 let me be. Let me be very. Let me be very clear. The head... Artist on Jamla Records is a woman MC. Yeah. So, um, but um, you know, all hail the queen, um, paper thin. Yeah. Um, right, right, right. Um, um, what else came out that year? The Great Adventures of Slick Rick. Like all of these came out in a year, right? 
So the conference. And I bought all of them. I bought them all. I bought them all. Was it NWA too? Straight out Straight of Compton. Out of Compton. Straight out of Compton. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, 87, 88, even 89 with, you know, youngest in charge and fear of a black planet. And like, we can do this all day. All day. Right. But, but it's, it's, it's great, right? That, that we're considered professionals. But we're still fans <laughs> of the culture. I got a question for y'all, man. Why is it though that, you know, out of all genres of music, hip hop is the most competitive where we, we, we can't live until we, have these types of conversations. Who would win? I can't wait to see such and such battle, such and such. Why, why is that such an incest- essential, integral part of this culture? You don't think Merle Haggard wanted to take out Willie Nelson in some sort of context? But they didn't have diss records. Right. When you hear stories about, you know, someone like Bud Powell, like Bud Powell would hear dudes do improvisation on the piano and he'd get upset right he got in some battle that he he wanted to challenge dude so even though he was a left-handed player he got up there and played with his right hand because he was so convicted in terms of that so i think that's always been a part of the culture right in terms of black culture but i also think in terms of hip-hop because it's so much of the content of it we pay so much more attention to it that way right because i mean because dudes are calling people out right how many genres are there any genres are there where artists are like literally calling each other out and in certain kinds of contexts. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a great thing to me. I mean, I think the criteria has changed. The battle now is not the music. Mm. But is it, is it, I think it is, though. Nah. No. Is it, it's Instagram followers. Nah, it's, that's it's the battle. Music, but it's still <laughs> the music, though, right? Nah. When we look, okay, so it, when, it's who got a better reality nah. show. When, when, when we look that's at, the battle. But, but when we look at Drake... Versus Meek, right? Back to back, is it not the music? I mean, in that particular sense, that's the moment in time where everybody wants to start paying attention to lyrics, it seems like. Um, when it comes to, like, the Drake and Meek battle. And even still, it's still not paying attention to the lyrics. They're just paying attention to what everybody else is saying about the music. But DJ Premier tells a story about how he went to... In 91, he went to L.A. and heard The Chronic for the first time. Dre played him The Chronic. And at the time, they were working on Daily Operation, or what he thought was going to be Daily Operation. <laughs> and so he... he which, which is actually my... Um, no, Step in the Arena is my favorite. See, this is where the debate gang, starts. Gang, gang right. Star album, but for I'm me, sorry. it's Moment of Truth. But, I mean, that's their best album. Right. But, but your favorite, right, of course. So, so he heard that record. He played like maybe six or seven records. And he went, DJ Premier went back home and erased everything. Right. That's the, I don't know if that competition exists. Especially when everything sounds the same. So, so do you really think that, you know, in the, in the scheme of today's contemporary music, that the, all the music that we hear right now is disposable? A lot of it is, yeah. <laughs> I, I, think the, I think the critical thing you say is the stuff that we hear. Right, right, because because most of the stuff that's being produced we don't hear, right? We don't have access to, but the stuff that we hear, the stuff that we hear on the radio, right? it's fed to us all right. the time. Right. But coming up, man, we had a lot of caca rap records too, B. Like we had a lot. <laughs> we had a trash rappers. We had a lot. Here's the thing about that: a is, lot. Uh, and no, we talk about no. that. We talk about you know when I get in conversations with young cats, they say, "Well, y'all have Vanilla Ice, y'all have MC Hammer." I'm like. Yeah, but at the same time, and, and let me, not, let me not, just say this: not, MC not Hammer, looking back, they like, say one that. of our greatest. And, and, let's, right. and, and let's like, like I'm a big Houdini fan. Like Houdini did some party tracks, 
Right. Tell me Jalil ain't like the worst rapper, rapper ever. Right. right. Can't rap. <laughs> Period. Right. Right. I love some routine, but Jalil Jalil's like the worst rapper ever. Oh, beat. <laughs> I think I think the thing about us is once we You said it. I, I didn't did. say that. I ain't said it. Internets, let me just say this for the podcast. Combat did not say people that. Tape, people taping and shit, it'll go up on Instagram. Nope. And I wonder this is Jalil. That's who this gonna be. Nope. Ayo, hey, internets, do not forget this week's episode of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by the new Spotify original podcast, Mogul, The Life and Death of Chris Lighty. Mogul details one of the most illustrious careers in hip hop and Chris Lighty's rise to the pinnacle of musical success before an unfortunate and untimely end. This story is bigger than just music, it's bigger than hip hop, it's the story of the American dream. Our team has been working on it. The loudspeakers, Gimlet, Spotify. This has been a labor of love. We've been working on it for over a year. Wouldn't y'all hear niggas talking about they've been working on a podcast for over a year, over a year, Internet? Man, I swear to God, this is my best work yet. And, and, and I'm so proud of it, man. And I just want y'all to go to Spotify, download the shit. Y'all do not have to pay premium just go and download the shit register with whatever the fuck you got to do download the shit listen to mogul man mogul the life and death for chris lighty is a spotify original podcast produced by the loudspeakers network and gimlet media follow and listen to mogul the life and death of chris lighty every week only on spotify internet thank you so much for your support like i've been telling y'all day in and day out week and week out for the past seven years raise the bar we did it on this one mogul and we out like I was saying, you know, we had, you know, a lot of my young, my kids in class say, we all had Vanilla Ice and MC Hammond and, and, the, and that, you know. And the people that slipped through the cracks. The people that slipped through the cracks. But I think for us, that didn't define the culture for us, though. Like, that didn't. Right. In, the, in the late 80s and 90s, hip-hop hadn't accepted pop criteria. Nobody was trying to emulate MC Hammer. Right, I mean, exactly. Right. That, I mean, right. I say when folks start trying to emulate the doo-doo, that's when there's... Although, although, right. although, we can't, we got to have Hammer. How we get from Rock him to Hammer? I never understand this. <laughs> but that's, that's the beauty. Yeah, exactly. That's the beauty of the art. You know what I'm saying? We, it's we, like culturally, every region couldn't produce a Rock him. And like I said, when I go back now... And I look at the greatness of Hammer. I'm so disappointed at how hateful I was at that brother back in the day because he was doing something oh, that was on a scale. You got to think about imagine. it. You got to think about it. Before right. Hammer had his own crossroad thing, too, because before Hammer came along, people wearing sweatsuits and jumpsuits. Look at look at rest in peace to the great heavy D. Look at pre heavy D before Hammer came along. Look at Hammer and then look at the we I got our own thing video. Right. <laughs> Look at New Edition, and then look at Hammer, and then look at Bobby Brown's every little step. Right, right. Hammer changed right. the game. Like nobody was dancing in videos, nobody was doing this. There was no background dancers for the most part, with pad leather shoes on and big pants. Man, and all of that. Yo, Hammer, 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 and Oaktown Three Five Seven changed everything. So we can't take that from him. But I think the difference is now is that we we've accepted we've accepted pop criteria. We wanted to be popular so much. We wanted to be popular as a culture. But the reason why pop listeners like music and the reason why we like listeners we like music is two totally different things. 
hip hop is connected to our culture. Pop is just it's just pop music. It is what it is. So now we have accepted those rules to like somebody instead of liking it for the music or are they on this show? And even from that, we had our own mainstream. There was mainstream and there was black mainstream. There was mainstream and then there was Arsenio Hall, Yo MTV Raps, Rap City, Team Summit. And if you made it on those, you made it. Now it's, you have to make it all the way to best new artist on the Grammys for everybody to know who you are. Or, you know what or, I mean? Or Jimmy Kimmel. Or Jimmy Kimmel for you to make it. But if you made it on Arsenio Hall, it's like, oh, that's it. That's all I need. So, See, But, but the, the issue that I grapple with is, you know, coming from that era, like initially, like when I first heard Soldier Boy, I was like, yo, hip-hop is dead. Like, I, I said that. <laughs> you I said, said that then? I said that way back. But, but then. 50 Cent was my moment. 50 Cent was yours? I was getting off the train with 50 Cent. But I'm gonna tell you what changed my perspective. That was your fifty was your moment. Many men. Fifty was my moment. My moment was, <laughs> you know, hip hop has always been this thing of you can enjoy it, you can be a fan of it, but you can't do it. Like to listen to Nas, it's right, like right, I can't right, do that. Right, right. To listen to Biggie, I can't do that. But when I heard make him say, uh, the nah, the nah, I said, <laughs> that made everybody at home say, I can do that. <laughs> and that, and the floodgates just. But, but this is what I'm saying, though. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like, the truth. It is what it is. I was hating on Soldier Boy until one day I looked in my living room and I saw my kids with their white friends and their Asian friends doing the, doing the Soldier Boy, like, dance and i was like yo they are enjoying this music as much as i right. did and i remember i remember when i used to have the fat laces like my older cousin who was heavy into r&b was like that's not music exactly that's not music that's trash and you got to understand a lot of black executives in the music industry and in radio saw hip-hop as trash they heard rakim and they were like that's trash and it just changed my perspective of becoming that old guy because these guys are not making music for me. So, so nah, they're not nah. making music for me. That's why. That's why. That's why I differ because delivery of the message is one thing. Yes. My mom didn't understand Rakim when I listened to it when I when I was thirteen, twelve, eleven years old. Why was I listening to Peyton Full? I recited the words to Peyton Full to my mom, and she one hundred percent got it. I don't know how many songs on the radio you can recite to somebody if they 100% get it. So, so my, so my, my, my 14-year-old's over on the floor over there, and she's reading The Hate You Give, right? So she a little locked in a little bit on some shit, right? So I'm telling her, you know, Rakim's coming, the God MC, the GOAT, and she goes, Rakim? She goes, I ask her who she thinks the best. She goes, Day Day. I'm like, who the fuck is Day Day? Right, but I also know that she enjoys that the way I would have been enjoying LL or Public Enemy or Kane back in the day. Right, it, it's all relative, and I think we get caught in situations, particularly as a, as older folks and as adults, that we forget what brought us to hip hop in the first place. It wasn't all the consciousness when we were 17 years old. We weren't just listening to hip hop because we wanted to get education. Right, and in fact, there was we no actually, education in right. hip hop when I first started. Yeah, it, 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 it was about sniffing cocaine, right. jumping in the fly but, but OJs. It, but but I, I think that's where we're getting confused. It's not necessarily the nature of the message. 
we have to look at it this way, and, and this is from an educational situation. It's not a situation of if it being conscious or having a message-driven positive. Ten Crack Commandments was not positive, okay? It was not a positive song. It was a positively great record. Right. <laughs> Mob Deep's the infamous. Woo! By the time you get to track nine, a hundred people have died. Okay? Best That's not what we're talking niggas about. Niggas for life! Right. Niggas for life! I think now we need to start looking at it and from a deeper standpoint, like we need to start looking at it, the idea of of sonic warfare, man, because because now it's affecting the way our kids write and read, bro. And and that's what it is. No matter the message, it's the audible idea of of being able to speak clear words or not. <laughs> Living in a generation of now, everything is you're limited to 140 characters. You got kids. It's like LOL, WYD, da da da. It's a deeper message. Emojis. It's a deep right. It's a deep idea where now our kids is losing the idea of communication. No matter the message of the record, like no matter the positive or negative tones of the record, it has a do you know how to use words, period. And that's that's where we at now. But like that's it, where we at. Is it a is it a de evolution or evolution? Because you also gotta know. look at all listen, 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 listen. You gotta look at all the platforms right now. When I think of Twitter, right? When I think of this digital age, to me, it's a weird form of evolution the way I see it. Because when I used to look at Star Trek back in the day, right. and them aliens had them big heads, they didn't talk. They just communicated through their heads. Yeah, we you know what I'm saying? They fan. would look we at each been. other and they would... And that's how I see Twitter. It's like, are we becoming no, those we big-headed that, man. aliens? I'm just... Come on, man. Do y'all understand? Y'all, y'all fuck with me or not? So, it's Star Trek, man. I get it. <laughs> I'm not here just to be the. the I understand the what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. But, but that's I understand a, what you're saying. But that's a question I think also about hip hop, right? If hip hop took up such a space in our lives, hip hop doesn't take up that space in our children's lives. Exactly. Anymore, right? They don't even, you know, for, for many young folks, regardless of race, hip hop is just another form of pop music to listen to, right? It's packaged alongside all these other pop songs. Exactly. Rappers are jumping in on all kinds of pop records, you know, pop singers popping. They don't think of it as something that's unique, something to be protected, something to be curated in the ways that we do, right? I mean, Ninth and I see it all the time. You know, some of these kids, and it's funny, right? We got 140 kids in the class. There are 15 that's of them. ironic. Right. 140 kids, they're, 140 they're 15 characters. 15 of them. They're 15. <laughs> <laughs> they're 15 Stay of them up. in the class. And it's all white guys, right, who all want to talk to Ninth about beats. The other 125 kids could give a damn about the specifics of the culture, right? And, and half of those are black kids, right? If anything, some of the more white kids are more invested in talking about this than the black kids. That's a whole other right? conversation. Cause, cause it doesn't hold culture. It doesn't hold their lives the way it did for us. Right. So does that mean then? Because the scariest thing and the thing that I don't want to accept is what Nas said ten years ago: "Hip hop is dead." Are we saying that? Is I jazz think, dead? I mean, jazz can never die, but 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 in in the scheme of things, it's not the strongest. In terms of what we listen to right but now. But at the same time, if you ask a certain young person or even ask some of us in our 30s or 40s. 50. 50. Some of us, some of us, I'm sorry, man. Some of us, now some of us, our first introduction to jazz is Kenny G, man. And that's not, 
Which is, and that's not it. However, right. But what you have to think about is if we don't control this narrative 50 years down the road, right. Eminem is right. going to be the that's representation. My that's my biggest fear. And, 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 no and it, but it goes to that. No shots at all. I mean, and that's, that's just what it is. But it's, it just says something to me when, and I say this all the time, I can tell the type of music. Music is diet, bro. This is diet. I can tell the type of music a kid listens to by the paper they give me. Ain't proved me wrong yet, man. I can tell the kid who listens to Kendrick and Cole. It's not fair, right? man. I got and the two most- professors. Yo, man. <laughs> so Ninth does his lecture, right? He does a couple of pieces of lectures, right? One of them is about, you know, and there's a story that you were telling about the NFL, about Chuck D talking about NFL players, right? You know, you up in the crowd watching elite NFL players, you know that you can't get on the field and do that shit, right? You know that, right? What happens when the standard of the culture gets to the point that you think that you can do it yourself, right? That the culture is not elevated enough that you think that you're incapable of doing that unless you actually spend 15 or 16 years of training to do that. When we talk to the students about who they think are the best rappers are, right? And I'm just like, well, let's just come up with criteria, right? And they're giving us all these names. And when we give them 10 pieces of criteria, they're like, oh, all those names they gave us disappeared, right? Because no one had ever talked to them about standards before. <laughs> I have the honor and the luxury to teach. Besides, <laughs> I'm telling you, man. But, so so I got, but, but once again, I, I agree with you, but I still got to stand my ground, dude. It's, it's 2017, right? And the highest selling right. artist in 2017 is Kendrick. It's Kendrick. Right? Yeah, absolutely. When you hear J. Cole, it's not an anomaly. It's, he's, he's one of the best pens out right now. You, of course. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so I refuse to believe. I mean, I get it. I get it. I'm not saying that, the, okay, yes, the standards have been lowered, right? But haven't it, hasn't it also changed? Because let me, ta- let me tell you who gave me, who saved my life in hip-hop recently. This is about six years ago. And I was like, the music is trash. And I heard Little B, and I was like, this is the, he is the worst. <laughs> and he's faking it. That's just crazy. He's faking I've ever it. seen. He's faking heard. it. I mean, I'm sorry. He's the worst rapper that I ever heard. <laughs> and then I went to a Little B show, and I was like, this is one of the, this is one of the top five Great shows, shows I ever right. fucking went to. In right. my, and I've been to a lot of shows. And it showed me that, yes, there's a certain standard that's lower, but it's also changing. I can't explain the magic that was Little B. I'm a Little B fan, yo. Well, we have to look at... <laughs> well, you wild, boy. You wild. Um, I mean, right? You, you did a record with, with, so, with Little so, B. Yeah, right? and, and that's the thing about it. He was fooling people the whole time. Really? We're, we're in a situation now that rappers say they have to dumb themselves down for the public. Um, but and, Jay said that and, years ago. No, no, no. His dumbing down and, and this dumbing down is two different types. <laughs> two different types. But I mean, it, I mean, we just <laughs> when it comes to you know Kendrick and Cole, you know Cole went double platinum. You know he had platinum no and double features. platinum with no features. <laughs> no features. Absolutely, Kendrick sold six hundred ten thousand. He's he's you know be Ed Sharon and Drake. You know we're in the, with with Cole and Kendrick. We're at the first time in a very long time that lyricism wins. 
You know what I mean? And a lot of us come from generation where that one, you know what I mean? You having a great single is one thing, but the albums that stood the test of time contain some type of message to it, which has always been the the foundation of black and brown folk. The message has always been there from the time they told us singing spirituals to run to the north all the way to now. It's always been a message regardless of what. And so now for Kendrick to do that, for Cole to doing what he's doing, you know, that's very important for a kid to now sit in my class and say, man, I want to hear some storytelling now. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time of me hearing this in a long time with black kids in the South. Because the thing about black kids in the South, they have a stigma to believe that if you're from the South, you ain't supposed to say nothing. Huh? Outcast. I'm getting there, Shanti. I'm getting there. <laughs> the problem is kids don't know the outcast anthology. They don't know that anthology. Right. Right. And I have to tell them, I do this thing in my class where I put up, I split the class in half and they always get in an argument about it. I put North on one side, South on another. And I tell my kids to tell me what's the stereotypes of of rappers in the South. Right. What's the stereotypes of North and South Southern people, period? I want to hear that. Right? And they and they go to war, you know? All the Northern people, we, you know, Southern people, we slow, ain't no street, like all this stuff, right? <laughs> the Southern people, they fire back, blah, blah, blah. So then I ask, so what's the stereotypes for rappers in North and South? North is always a message, it's about the struggle. South is about the party, blah, blah, blah. And then I wiped the whole board clean. I said, explain outcast then. And they, they freeze because that's not their, when it comes to Southern music, that's not their genesis. Their genesis starts somewhere else. So that's the whole thing because a lot of things we got as little brother, why y'all sound like that, y'all from North Carolina? We supposed to sound dumb? I understand this. We supposed to sound slow? We're not supposed to say anything? Like, what is this? And it just comes from the stigma of you from the South. You know, y'all got this, y'all got that, but then here come little brother. That's why we named our mixtape Separate But Equal. Right? So that's that's the whole idea. Yeah, Cole is going platinum. Kendrick's going platinum. But like Neil said, it is more white kids now that are way more invested in learning the culture than we are. Because we like, take it for granted. Exactly. It's, it's, it's right there. So not free. It's not. It's, and it's crazy. One of the ways you know that is that when you read the Pitchfork and all these other little magazines and the best stuff that's being written about our culture is never by any folks who look like us anymore. Yeah, I'm telling it's you. all white boys who are writing this shit. Right? So they now have become the gatekeepers of the culture, even as the culture is in a renaissance. Right? And, and that's where the writing piece becomes important, right? Because if you want to protect the culture, you don't protect the culture on Twitter. Tell right? <laughs> right? You actually put down a 2,000-word essay to justify why this shit is brilliant, right? The same way Baraka did that shit for jazz. The same way that Nelson George did that for R&B back in the 80s. We're not training a generation of young black folks to be critical thinkers and critical reviewers of the culture. So thus that gets left off the other folks, the Entertainment Weekly, right? To, to uh, the, you know, Entertainment Tonight, right? To Pitchfork. Right. And so that's part of the process. Also, you know, we fight with these kids and as a class about, can y'all give us something critical? Right. Can y'all just stop telling us this constant narrative about, you know, black kids with drug dealers and hip hop is about drug dealers. And, and we had this breakthrough moment. Well, not breakthrough because we were cussing them out. 
because we was like, the folks that y'all describe in these papers about these black folks, I don't know none of those black folks. I don't live on a block with drug dealers, right? I know some drug dealers, right? But they ain't living next door to me, right? I never see my grandmother in your papers, right? Because the idea of what a black person is is truncated in part because of the way the culture is circulated by the corporations, right? And then the folks who are responsible for writing about it reproduce that narrative. Neil told all the white people in class, y'all don't know any real black people. What was their response? They just they didn't say anything. They just looked at us. It's like, y'all don't know. I don't think you ever met a real black person before. All the black people that you know are in these images. It's a caricature. Exactly. So, so what happens at this point, man? What happens at this juncture? This critical juncture where we're talking about, you know, because what I'm hearing is the culture is um, could fall off. Hopefully that, you know, all of us in a large part are are the first record that we ever fell in love with, right? Hmm. You know, all of us, you know, that whether it be age eight, age nine, whatever that was, the first record you bought with your own money, you know, or now in these cases, downloaded. With, without, with no money. With no money. <laughs> what, was the, what was your first record, by the way, that you spent money on, man? When I died. Asked my mom to go to the store. Um, Bismarcky going off. That was the first one, and then the second that's one was criminal. That's a classic. The album. second one was criminal minded. That was, was the second it, one. Was that a hip hop question or a general? No, that was the, that was the first. Yeah. The, no, no, about no, no. I'm talking about the first record. Like ownership of yours. This is mine. This is not my parents. This is not even my brothers. This is mine. Um, so, you know, you brought up taking nation of means to hold us back. You know, I was in the seventh grade when that record came out, and that. You know, coincidentally, a, a friend gave it to me in a social studies class. We're learning about Christopher Columbus, right? <laughs> and so I goes home and I listen to it and we I come back. Right. I come back and I'm 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 challenging the teacher back and forth now because what Chuck D said the night before. <laughs> and you hot too, you hot. I'm hot about it, right? So, you know, we're always affected by that those moments in middle school, elementary school, the first records that we bought. That's kind of the the litmus test for the rest of our lives. So I'm hoping that a 12-year-old kid, their first record to themselves is this Kendrick Lamar record. Just think what that does to their mind, you know what I mean? That their, their first record is 2014 or For Your Eyes Only, and then the next one they buy is Damn. That's setting the precedent in the bar for everything else that they listen to in the rest of it for the rest of their days, I think. Mark, what's your first record, man? I'm dating myself. Um, the Jackson 5 third album. That's 1971. Lead single was I'll Be There. Mine was um, Parliament Funkadelic, Chocolate City. <laughs> and Stevie Wonder's um, Songs in the Key of Life. The best album of life. The best album of life. Inner Visions is better. I know, I know, but still. Inner Visions is better. I agree, that, but that's I disagree. All I'm Fight me. Inner Visions <laughs> is better than Songs in the Key of Life. No. Um, no. You know, a lot of. But we, let's, let's, let's flip it around, though. A lot of this generation, a lot of this generation coming up, they're disappointed in us because they feel that at the height of the, you know, at the height of the craft, we took everything and we didn't leave them 
This is very true. We do can it we all talk, the time. Can we talk about that? Because they have a legitimate gripe about y'all. You know what I'm saying? Y'all ran through this game. Y'all, y'all flipped this game around, and, and we got to pick up the pieces. I mean, it, it goes further than that. The civil rights era didn't pass the torch to us either. That's a continued cycle in black culture. Like Some people need to be willing to get off the field. Right. And it ain't been, it ain't been that easy no. to get some people off, off the, the field. field. And, and we have some, I think the only. It's all about accountability. It's all about accountability. If, 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 if my kids are running around in the streets walling out, everybody's looking at me. Cops right. are coming to me. Exactly. I think one of the few members of the civil rights era or that era that passed the torch on to us and continues to do it is Harry Belafonte. I think he always makes a connection for, to us. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the main money man behind mm-hmm. Beach Street. So, you know. I, they, they don't know what you're talking about. Y'all don't know about Beach Street? <laughs> you know, which, which you know, it, it all ties in because, you know, the lead role in that movie is Ozzie Davis and Ruby D's son. And Ozzie Davis and Harry Belafonte was, was boys. So, to, you know, to kind of foster that along, he always understood the message that hip-hop was trying to bring. From a music side, Roy Ayers always understood what we mm-hmm. were trying to bring. I met Lonnie Listen Smith last night for the first time. Like L- these Lonnie guys. Smith, Lonnie Smith. Lonnie, I'm sorry, Lonnie Smith. <laughs> sorry. Um, all the time, you know what I mean? They, we, they get it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? They get it 100%. It is up for us. It's up to us to get it. I may not understand. I mean, I may not like the music that's out. Can I understand why a kid likes it? Of course. We don't take that time to understand. Mm-hmm. And we always force, mm-hmm. you should know Illmatic. You should know it. <laughs> Il Nas, Illmatic. And it's like, this kid's 19. Illmatic's 23, bruh. Like, it's, it's, it's just tough. We didn't, I wasn't going to listen to the OJs at age 11 on my own. I just wasn't. I just wasn't. Like, unless my mom and dad played it for me, unless I was forced to listen to it in the car. Slick Rick. I want to listen to Slick Rick. Leave me alone. Children's stories. Slick Rick. I don't want to hear your, I don't want to hear the your. balls. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't want to hear your. SOS band, bro. Like, I don't want to hear that. You know what I mean? And we had to go, you know, we had to sit in the, me and my friends, we sat in the room and we listened to Slick Rick, the grown folk, in the, in the front room listening to, like, SOS band and, and all of that type of stuff. Or the oldest, you know what I mean? Atlantic Star. Atlantic Star. Like, I don't even think we, I don't even think we do that no more. Like, we got too many parents trying no, to be. No, we, we do that. We do that because. Now nah, we got too many parents right now trying to be friends with their kids, bro. I mean, like. <laughs> I mean, I I, I I listen to the stuff my kids listen to in the car. Why? Nah, like, why my, are you my, doing my, that? My kids are also gonna listen to the same shit. Yeah, my kids ain't my, got no my choice. Kids, my kids appreciate Luther. My kids appreciate. Right, mine too. Right, of and, course. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's our responsibility. But I say this not just for us, man, but everybody in the room, man, because once again. You know, the world is shrinking. It is becoming a global mm-hmm. village, man. And mm-hmm. not just us and, and pointing fingers, but what's everybody's responsibility exactly. to making sure that we are, like, for example, for me, and I'm not bigging myself up, but I feel so 
honored that I'm able to give back to the culture on my platform, the Combat Jackson. To me, like, that's the only thing, that's the only way I can give back to the culture. But, like, what do we say to everybody out here that, like, yo, it's fucked up? Because that's also a crime when we just throw our hands up and be like, yo, it's fucked up. You guys want to add to that, bro? No, I mean, what? I, I mean, what Reggie just said, what you've done with Jamla, right? Because, like, if, if cats don't want to deal, if these corporations don't want to deal with it, you, you build that shit yourself. You build it yes. yourself. Right? You figure out how to get the resources. Like, you know, I, I ain't never been on Charlie Rose, so I did my own shit, called it Left of Black. Right. Got my own Charlie Rose. Right? I mean, we build our own shit, right? We come out of, of a tradition of folks who build their own shit. And, and in terms of cultivating the culture now, we have to get back to that kind of business. You know, part of the problem that happened with hip hop is that all this money came into the industry in the 90s, right? And created billionaires, all that kind of stuff. And what it created was individual billionaires, right? It wasn't like that money went back to the infrastructure that created hip hop in the first place. Now, some of these cats now at least have a sensibility that they can give some of this money back and create other context. You give Jay a lot of credit for, like, the money he put into producing this story about Khalif Browder, right? Because that Khalif Browder story is important because all, we pay attention a lot to the stuff that's spectacular. Cats getting shot in the street, women being, you know, incarcerated. and then disappearing. They, and, right, and then disappearing. We, we pay attention to those spectacles, but the everyday reality of black life is a Khalif Browder story where you get stopped for no apparent reason, end up in prison for three years, right, in solitary confinement, and then get in a kind of mental trauma that you kill yourself. That's the everyday story, right? So we give Jay some credit to put some money to get that story out there, right? So we put that pressure on folks. But in the absence of that big money, right, that stuff didn't come back to our communities. That this stuff didn't come back to our institutions. You know, that's stuff that we have to put in the game ourselves and cultivate ourselves, right? So I give Reggie a lot of credit. Reggie, we were just talking earlier, right, he's just doing this series now with Spotify called Mogul, which is about Chris Lighty. And if you don't know who Chris Lighty is, right, and the impact that he's had on the culture, and folks need to know both who Chris Lighty is, but also the story that ends in his tragic death, right? Because the culture loses because of that. It's important to invest um, and start it our own. It's probably one of the main reasons why I've never, you know, people, when they talk to me and when they walk up to me, they ask me, I thought you lived in New York. Like, I was supposed to leave here. <laughs> like, I've never lived anywhere else. Don't move to New York, man. No, hell no. You got to be rich to be poor in New York. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that just type of idea, you know, when people say, I thought you left, I thought you moved up away from here. Like, that just that idea just pre breathes the idea that great people, or you can't do great things coming from here. Like, that you can't stay here. You know what I mean? It's that type of mentality mm -hmm. that we have, that you, you can't stay here to do things. Man, look at Drake, man. Yeah, right. Toronto, who would have thought Toronto right. would right. be the, you know, arguably the, the, the epicenter of this thing right now? But it has to start, you know, it has to start somewhere for that type of mentality to start. So. You know, I want to challenge everybody in here, man. I, I think, you know, my thing is, you know, all throughout our existence on this country, man, the, the main thing that we've had, is, is faith and hope, man. And as long as we have faith and hope, that's, that's the cheat code. And I think, you know, as much as we talk about today, I think this is the best time. To, this is, what a time to be alive, dude. Like, we have everything 
like when I was coming up, I had to mail physical resumes. I had to go and knock on doors and call like, like, you know what I'm saying? With the rotary phone, like trying to get meetings and like door, it took a lot of time and effort. And now everything is at our fingertip, man. And if at fingertips, and if we all each individually care about this culture, man, it's like, it's in, it's in all of our hands. It's, it's, put your voices out there. Put your thoughts out there. You don't have to have money. To do this, when I started this thing, I had I was I was broke, I was broke, but I was still a fan. I started getting ex- y'all saved my life. I left the music industry, and I was like, oh shit, little brother, MF Doom, like oh this shit is still vibrant, and it's each and it's it's our responsibility, it's our responsibility to find the cast that's still the torchbearers and push that shit forward, man, because nobody else is gonna do it for us, y'all. So um, hold up. I, how much time do we have? Ten minutes. Um, yeah, well, I want to take some. I want to take some. I want. I want to take some questions, but I got to ask you all this, and I ask Mark this also. Like the battle, right? The battle ultimately is the pinnacle of this hip hop thing. I love to see a battle, right? This is all conjecture, also. This is all opinion, but I want your opinions. Today's two giants, arguably two giants, is Kendrick and Drake. If they battled, who would Kendrick. win? No, no. We will all talk about it. Yo. Kendrick. Pont- pontificate, sir. Explain. Why? 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 <laughs> we don't even know. We don't even know if Drake wrote it. <laughs> we don't even know if he wrote it at this point. Everything is in question now. Like, everything is in question. Especially... When the references, the reference tracks came out, everything is in question now. I don't even know if he wrote it. Mark? J- Kendrick. Mark? I'm going to go with Kendrick. I'm just... Kendrick. I just... Kendrick or Kendrick. Drake? I'm going to go with Drake. And I'm going to tell you why. No. I'm... First of all, first of all, Drake, Drake, is, a, Drake is 100... Hey... He's huge. He's 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 out of here. He's you know he's a brand. He's an artist. He's everything. Number one, Drake exists because of Fonte Coleman. Let me say that out loud. I'm gonna say that. And Taylor right up the street. He exists because of that guy. Um, but past all that, if we talk about pure lyricism and a battle. <laughs> but it wasn't always. Even back in the day, even back in the day. When it was Cool Mo D versus um, fuck, Busy, uh, B. Busy, Busy B. B, it wasn't about the lyrics as much as it was about the battle. Right? Hear me, hear me out. Okay, I got hear you. Hear me out. I got you. Hear me out. Kendrick will write a universe around Drake, right? Drake will make that record, and motherfuckers will be like, "Damn, you're like, you almost, you're like he moves the crowd on a level." I, I, I'm putting my money on. Do you know? You know how many times Kendrick has shot, took shots at Drake, and, and Drake you know has said times, nothing. No, Drake is Drake is shot back. Drake is shot back. The BT side when he say high five, bap, he just the jokes on you, bat, bat, like he just said listen, nothing. Listen, listen, listen. Because this is what you got to understand. We, I still put my money on Drake. Mm-mm. Because because the thing here's the thing about y'all, y'all don't fuck with me now. Y'all don't fuck with me now. <laughs> Here's the thing about the here's the thing about the the busy B, cool more, more, more D thing. 
Records or not, both Busy B and Kumo D came from the culture of battling in the street. You seen? Have you ever seen Kendrick battles when he was sixteen? Man, I'm gonna flip this question on you, Reggie. Yeah, flip it on him, man. Cause you know. Will you take? <laughs> you, you don't uh, fuck with me no more either, B. Are you gonna take? <laughs> Reggie, you gonna take Drake and Kendrick over Kane and Rakim? But it's kind of the same thing. No, listen. No, listen. Oh, no. Y'all not letting me talk, y'all. Yeah. Y'all not letting me talk. Y'all, yo, who cut my mic off? <laughs> listen, Rakim is the God MC. Rakim created something out of nothing. He added dimensions and stairs and, you know what I'm saying, different portals to this hip-hop thing. Kane was a battle MC, right? Kane couldn't, I don't think Kane could write on the level that Rakim not, could. Not at all. He could not. He could not. You can't, he could not. Y'all just said, you just told me. Rakim was the greatest MC of all time. Right, but it is Kane could not write on the same level as Rakim, but he could entertain around him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But he did raw. He did raw. Yes. Like, it's, gotta, but it, it's a difference between surface and depth, right? You know, I mean, are you entertained? Are you not Rakim entertained? Is that what it right? is? Rakim wrote deep, right, and down. Kane did all kinds of interesting stuff on the surface, right? But as far as lyricism, they can both go for it, though. They can go for it. I'm just not but, sure. But still, answer my question. You taking Drake and Kendrick over those two? I don't understand what the question means. I, I don't. Please. Rephrase your question. If you so. had the choice, different errors, different criteria. It's like asking, would you take Steph and LeBron over Jordan and Worthy? Oh, no, no. I'm going back to Kane and, and, and Rakim. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's day. my era. All day. Brooklyn. Like I said, all I'm day. partial to Brooklyn and Kane all day. But it's Kendrick, man. It's Kendrick. Okay. It's Kendrick. Anyway, I, I would hope that that happens. No, you I think, don't. I think the game needs that. No, it Come is on, not, man. You, you, would, you would tune it up if you... It's not, it's not gonna nice. happen. If it happened... Drake don't if want it, it. If it happened... He don't want it. If it, it happened, man. you wouldn't tune in? He doesn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why I love hip-hop, man, because grown-ass men. We grown-ass men. <laughs> I love this, man. Listen, um, y'all have any questions, man? Because I've been hogging the mic, man. Y'all got it? Um... I want to say thank you for your con contribution to the culture 100%. Like, mm -hmm. the Combat Jack show has changed everything. You know, the way your interview is very in-depth, the way you construct your interviews and, you know, for a lot of the passageways and a lot of the gate, you know, people that we quote-unquote call gay people, or rights, I like to call a rights of passage, like, we have a lot of right rights of passage. I feel like we don't need, but yours is needed. Like, thank you. Thank you I don't think an artist has made it until they come talk to you first. Thank you. I appreciate that. So that's real. Uh, I mean, I, after that, man, I'm, I'm just gonna open up the floor to questions, man. You guys are great, man. Do we have somebody to hand the mic? All right. I'm Oprah now. I'm Oprah. What? You the first? Oh, you passed it. Kiara Luck, this is for anyone who wants to answer. Do you feel like 
the way hip hop is now is because of the lack of mentorship from older generations with the stigma of if I teach you, it's going to take from me type yeah, of thing. Absolutely. That's some of my greatest of my errors, like the greatest of my era, a lot of them, when the next cat is coming up, is a threat to them. I'm talking about my favorite MC. I know for a fact he sees that next cat coming, he either embraces him or he's like, I'm saying that it's a, it's a combative sport. You know what I'm saying? And it, it all comes down to the individual. But unfortunately, coming out of the industry, it's a crabs in the barrel mentality. The next cat that's hot is going to take your spot, which is so unfortunate because there's so much emergency. You know what I mean? You, you, have some, you have a few in the game that will lend advice. Um, we don't call them Uncle Snoop for nothing. Like um, Snoop, Bun B. Big boy from Outcast, like you know, it's, it's, a, it's a ton of people that will give you advice, you know. But it's up to sometimes the next generation to listen to the advice too, because I'm not the one that's that's going to tell you what you, I'm not going to sell you a dream. I'm not going to tell you what you want to. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Um, and that's what Bun B has always been to me, you know. What Snoop has always been to me, what David Banner has always been to me, just to just to say, you know, Killer Mike. you know, Killer Mike, a lot of people that, that so I can't say everybody is standing in the way. Some people will say, hey, man, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. So. But it's very important. To find a mentor. Yeah. It's essential to find a mentor. Can you talk about how the way money is made now, the way artists have to make money, um, how do you think that influences the quality of the music that's out now? Um, you know, it may be a situation where the, you know, it's an interesting point that you just made. It, it may be a situation that the music, since the music on a disc or on a cloud is so disposable that they'll just, you know, let me just do this so I can just get on the road so I can make my real money, right? Why? Why would I give a label a masterpiece that I'm not even going to be able to eat off of. I'd rather just go on or just give them whatever. And then I just go on the road. So a lot of money is made on the road and merchandise for the most part and outside endorsements, but labels have gotten smart. So when they do the 360 deals, if you get a endorsement from target, they get some of that money too. You know what I mean? Cause they know they're not going to make that much money off your sales. I need to get money. Because they look at it, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't get the target thing. Right. Okay, we're going to take three. I, I, I got to say this, though. I'm amazed. Like, like def definitely, the, the, the craft is in, 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 in question. But I'm amazed at all these brilliant business minds that are emerging right now because of the way the industry is. My son is an artist. He's 20 years old. I'm like, I can get you a deal. He's like, I don't want a deal. And he's, and he's broke. You know what I'm saying? I'm like... <laughs> But you, I, I'm amazed at, at, at this generation of artists that are like, I'm not signing a 360 deal. It's amazing. Okay, three more questions, and then we're going to close it out. Hello, everybody. Okay. 
Okay, and you are killing the sock game. Thank Loving you. Loving it. So my daughter's at A and T, and she texts me to ask this question: What do you all think about uh, J Cole using technology to mix his voice with Tupac on his latest hit, Age of Vision? I mean, in terms of the music industry in general. Yes, art. That's been done before. Like, um, I think the first time I've heard something like that was on De La Soul Bionics, I think. And it's a scene where they're rhyming and, and they freestyle and morph into like Feral March and then morph into five, five Dog, Rest in Peace, and morph into, you know what I mean? So I, that's just part of the culture. I think, it's, I think it's brilliant. I think it is. Yeah. I wanted to praise all three of y'all for uh, keeping that history aspect of what's going on. I'm an old uh, blues and uh, jazz head, and uh, I can tell you that a lot of times folks don't understand the connection between blues and jazz and hip-hop, but y'all definitely keep that uh, lineage going. But I want to know if you think that enough of that is being uh, done out there with the uh, modern rap, because you were actually asking earlier about whether there were disc records out there earlier. Well, I can tell you there are a lot of disc records on blues records. You gotta give me a list. I want. I want to. I want to hit them. I love this record. <laughs> um, I think it's happening a lot. You know, I think people kind of miss the point of "To Pimp a Butterfly," like sonically, because what what Kendrick was really trying to do was to bring soul and funk back into the hip hop chart, into Billboard charts. That was the main reason what he was trying to, the way it sounded so musical mm-hmm. is he was trying to bring that feel back into the top 100, right? Um, I had a, I had a conversation with the, the young R&B guy, uh, Kent Jones, right? And um, I told him I appreciated that he was putting a lot of like, him and Tory Lanez, putting a lot of like, 90s R&B and 80s R&B in their songs. And and Kent Jones said, I'm trying to put it in there so it won't get lost. And I can appreciate that. My final question is, uh, you know, we hadn't spoken about Lupe Fiasco at all. I hadn't heard Lupe at all. But I think the cool Food and Liquor 2 um, were very... Uh, prophetic and artistic albums um and i think his contribution just wanted to mention them because you know i jam to i them. mean yeah we got a lot of rappers we can mention yeah yeah tons like all day long i think i tweeted the other day like you know there's a conversation about kendrick being the goat right well one of the goats that his first four albums section 80 good kid two pimp and damn it's like an incredible run and i tweeted the other day so was what the album There's a Dark Side and Muddy Waters. Like, we can do this <laughs> all day. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. So, you know, definitely an incredible lyricist. Like, you know, we just need more of that, I think. We ain't got no more three more. That's all I got time for is three more questions. Uh, okay, you're killing me. You're, you're bursting this. Y'all ready back. to go? Like, okay. Well, let me say this. Three more questions, and then we have an Ari Lennox performance upstairs. So I'm trying to move okay. you guys upstairs gotcha. to the Google Lounge. All right. Well, then we can do three more questions. Yeah. All right. You know, let's let's respect the venue, and 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 and, and, and you know, Article has been so like. Give them a round of applause, man. Thank you. And and and, and I want to definitely thank. You know, my brother's here, man. Like, you guys, this was a great, 
you know, conversation, man. And, and uh, you know, last words before we get off the stage. Support the culture. Man. Support the culture. Article. That's. And, and the last thing I want to say is, as I close my Combat Jack show on every episode, man, dream those dreams. And then man up, woman up, and live those dreams. Because a life without dreams is black and white, and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Internet. Internet.